And just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary, and today you're going to hear me on the Cyber Security Matters podcast. The Cyber Security Matters podcast is hosted by Dominic Vogel and Christian Redshaw. They speak about all things business, tech, and of course, cybersecurity. They brought me onto the show. I was fortunate enough to have a chance to sit down with them. We spoke about leadership, why it's important for leaders to show empathy and what true leadership is. We spoke about content. We spoke about predictable revenue. Just a great variety of topics for any small business owner or any entrepreneur or solopreneur. So this is me on the Cybersecurity Matters podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another epic edition of the Cybersecurity Matters podcast. I'm your co-host, Dominic Vogel, and joining me, as always, is my friend in crime, Christian Redshaw. Christian, how are you doing today? I'm doing awesome. How are you, Dominic? I am doing well. I am missing seeing you, and I look forward to seeing you at some point very, very soon this summer, uh, as well as our uh, uh, lovely production crew as well. Um, But uh, rather than just pining for uh, familiar faces, who is our special guest tonight? Well, we have Scott Cleary, and he is a sales and marketing executive from Ontario, Canada, but based, I believe, in Florida at the moment. He also is a podcast host as well, and the podcast is called The Success Story Podcast, which I have listened to on multiple occasions, and it's very good. So I expect great things from Scott today. Awesome. Well, he's a fantastic individual. Uh, We'll take a pause here. We'll bring Scott in, and let's uh, have an epic combo with him. Stay tuned. Let's do it. Scott, all the way from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, welcome to the Cybersecurity Matters podcast. Well, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. It's great to finally have you on here. So uh, my first question here, you have some marketing and and sales focus. You've got a lot of uh, interest going on here, but you also have your podcast, which is called the Success Story Podcast. So let's start with that. Just uh, just quickly tell us what that podcast is, and then I've got a follow-up question for you. Yeah, sure. That's very kind of you to, to plug the podcast. Um, sure. Podcast first started uh, out discussing things that I do in my career, so interviewing sales and marketing leaders. Um, that's uh, It's sort of grown a little bit since then, and the way that I draw a parallel from people in the podcast universe, I try and put out content that's uh, Tim Ferriss, but more of a business focus. So I bring in people that can speak about 
uh, how to, you know, be the most productive you can be, uh, accelerate your professional or your personal life, but also bring in sales and marketing leaders, entrepreneurs, CXOs, and discuss like very tactical business strategies that somebody who is starting a side hustle or somebody who is uh, building their own business or somebody that is a term that I like to use, entrepreneur, somebody who is uh, very motivated within their own company uh, can also gain some insights from the show and apply it to, you know, whatever organization they're a part of. So that's the core, the core, the core takeaway from the podcast. That's what I try and get across. I love it. And, you know, I have often wished that Tim Ferriss would be more of a business focus consistently in his podcast. So you're, you're definitely scratching my itch there. I, I'd rather that he <laughs> talk less about psychedelics and, and mushrooms and other, other weird stuff. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't really get good guess, but, uh, but yeah, I hear you. I hear you. So yeah. Thank you for, thank you for that. Thank you for filling that gap for me. So, so my question then, because I've been able to listen into and enjoy a few episodes of the podcast in the past, what has been the biggest let's say turnaround story that you have been able to see where you know one of your guests has had this crazy uh, background with these insurmountable uh, insurmountable odds and have been able to overcome and, and turn their life into a into a success story is there is there one that stands out for you in particular that uh, you can share with us I'll answer that question first uh, with with a I guess like a high level uh, takeaway that I've started to understand after speaking to all these individuals that have quote unquote success stories. Uh, it could be, and by the way, the definition of success can be in the traditional sense where they've built a big business or they have a great, you know, they have a great career, or it could just uh, be something in line with they've built something themselves and that allows them freedom, that allows them to spend more time with their family or whatever. So that's the definition or several definitions of success that I like to run with. But um, the main takeaway that I get from many of the people that I speak to is that they all have significantly difficult stories, obstacles that have stopped them, major failures, and it's the it, they don't let the failures define them. And the constant theme is the learning from the failure and then overcoming and then iterating and and persevering and then coming out on top now there's a variety of these stories they each manifest in a different way i'd say that one story um that i would say would be the biggest uh i guess uh dichotomy between a very uh, a very difficult upbringing and then the success that that individual's achieved today uh love him or hate him would be grant cardone uh grant cardone had uh not a uh, impoverished childhood, but he was, he was trouble. He was into drugs. He was, he was, uh, not by, you know, the person who got like a Harvard MBA and then went on to, uh, build like a, you know, a billion dollar company, but he overcame some own, his own personal struggles. I think he had some family issues as well. And now he's a brand name. He's a known name. He's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. So I would say in terms of from, uh, dealing with drugs in his early to mid 20s. I think there was even an arrest at one point, if I'm not mistaken, to becoming hundreds of millions of dollars in net worth. That's probably one of the, the greatest stories. Um, but I don't want to discount anybody else because everybody else has a story similar to that. Uh, they just probably aren't worth hundreds of millions of dollars. But by any any definition, they're very successful. Um, so that that's something that I've noticed again and again. I think you have been able to, ha to have that privileged position of being able to see it's kind of the aggregate of all of your guests and see those common themes, mm -hmm. which is, is so good that you shared that with us. And I, I agree. Grant Cardone is kind of a love him or hate him guy. 
Uh, but definitely, yeah. uh, he's got some good things to say. I was going to remind our viewers and listeners that if they're not following on, on LinkedIn to, to follow your, your, your content, you know, I, you and I have been connected for quite some time. I always appreciate yeah. the, the terrific, engaging content that you put out there. And one of the things that I wanted to uh, discuss with you was focusing around, I guess, well referred to as, as modern approaches to sales uh, or modern approach to leadership, m- namely around where empathy fits in. You know, when we look at you know, old, you know, quote unquote, old school sales tactics, it's not really relational. It's much more transactional. You know, treating mm-hmm. most people as as, as objects uh, towards an approach where we're seeing more common today. Uh, especially with, with uh, I suppose, young, younger generations as well, um, amongst an approach by leading with empathy. I'm wondering if you could talk a bit more in terms of where empathy fits in from a sales and leadership perspective. Sure. So empathy has to be at the core of a sales and leadership. And it's not just a nice to have, it's a need to have. And the reason why it's a need to have versus a nice to have is because uh, if you're leading a team or if you're selling a product, you have to understand that we are closer and more connected than ever before as business units, as organizations, between customers and, and suppliers, between team members and leaders. And the ability to see the other, to see what else is out there in terms of shopping for new products or, for example, even shopping around for new companies to go work at. It's in your face all the time and it's easily accessible. Um, the barriers to switch jobs, to switch, uh, to switch providers has, has never been lower, right? Now we can almost, the, the most, most, most people can now work virtually. Most people in, uh, in any sort of, in, in any sort of like knowledge job can now work virtually, um, which means that they can go apply anywhere in the world. Customers now do 70% of their research uh, on their own before purchasing a product from from a company so that being said because information is out there access is available if you aren't leading with empathy and by empathy you know leading by empathy or selling with empathy it means that you'll have the employee centric view or the customer centric view you are focusing on what the needs of the employee is or the customer is and that's what's driving your decisions that's what's driving everything that you do in your day-to-day and if you don't lead with that and if you don't have that then you're going to find out very quickly that the old school way of for example uh top-down management where you're just telling people to do more do more do more or for example uh the old school sales methodology where you're trying to almost like con somebody into purchasing a product isn't going to work anymore because people have access to information and with access to information means that you have to up your game. You have to up your game in every aspect of your business. And it's not hard to do. It just means that you have to be aware of that, be cognizant of it, and just be better. So I think that that's something that uh, a lot of, uh, I guess, legacy business leaders or even sales leaders um, have trouble with. And you know that's something that I think the pandemic has really shone a light on. Uh, who can lead with empathy? Who can lead with an employee-first view or a customer-first view those are the people that have won throughout the pandemic. Those are the people that migrated their workforce from in office to remote successfully and everybody maintained their productivity. Everybody was happy working remote and every everything was sort of, it was difficult, but there was still progress versus, uh, for example, a leader who wasn't able to lead with empathy and who didn't have the trust and support of uh, her employees. And because of that, when people went remote, they just slacked off or they didn't feel like they wanted to contribute anymore. Same with selling to customers. Now you have customers 
that are losing money. They're losing their own customers and they have to find budget for your product or service. If you are still trying to push a product or service down that customer's throat, uh, you're not going to be very successful when, for example, they've just let half of their own staff or their own workforce go. So being aware of the driving motivators of the, of the other, of the employee, of the customer, that's how you win. And I think that, like I said, like the pandemic really uh, exposed us that that was a necessity and a requirement, not just a, not just a nice to have, but like I said, a, a need to have. That's sensational in, in, insight, Scott. Uh, um, and, and I guess it's, it's loosely related, but um, you know, uh, a lot of entrepreneurs and people, whether it be solopreneurs or people who are, who are growing a business, um, you know, often often we're talking with them, and you know, we're not we're not salespeople, but you know, in, in our in our in, in various groups that, that we chat with people, one sort of a common problem I hear about is people struggling to build predictable revenue uh, through through their sales. Um, in, in your mind, you know, is there is there is there a certain approach in terms of how you go about building predictable revenue? I know I've, I've asked that question before, and I think uh, the, someone said, well, to get predictable revenue, you have to have predictable leads. Um, mm -hmm. What's your take on that? How, how can a, like I said, a, 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 an entrepreneur or a small organization go about building predictable revenue? When you want to build predictable revenue, I think the best way to do it is to model after uh, Mark Roberge and the HubSpot model, the content marketing model and the, uh, the demand generation model that's focused on creating um, or positioning your business as an authority or, or the subject matter expert in a certain field with a certain product. And when you HubSpot did this the best, and, and this is why I referenced them, a lot of other companies have sort of uh, followed HubSpot's model, but HubSpot was a content creation machine. They were putting out content all the time, uh, answering the questions that their buyers had. And by doing that, they created an inbound demand generation machine. And Mark Roberge was their, one of their first employees, was their CRO that sort of championed this model. Um, and by creating that inbound demand generation machine, I don't have the statistics or the percentages, but the majority of the revenue wasn't built through an outbound sales process. So I think that by building this content creation, demand generation machine. That's how you have a predictable inbound flow of leads. Um, but also, if you do want to have some sort of outbound initiative, which still works, it's obviously a lot nicer to have, you know, the, the predictable revenue coming in through all of your inbound leads. But if you want to go outbound, imagine the authority that you've built by creating all of this content, by creating a predictable inbound machine so that when a rep, an SDR, goes outbound and calls somebody, that person's already heard about your company. So it's already created a much warmer environment for that outbound. So I think that by focusing on creating content around your brand, again, a good content creation strategy is about answering the questions that the buyers have. By doing that, you're going to have that predictable revenue. And there's other pieces as well. Like you have to know your, your ideal customer profiles, your buyer personas and all that kind of stuff. But once you figure that out, um, you have that predictable revenue inbound, and then it also sort of doubles down and reinforces your outbound. And I think that the reason why I highlight that is because if an entrepreneur is going to market and selling a product and they go pure outbound and that's it, it can work, but it's hard and it's not predictable. Um, and also, you know, if you're selling a, a, a one-time or non-recurring charge service versus a monthly recurring service, uh, you know, you, you eat what you kill. And after that project's done, you're on to the next one. So it's even more difficult if you have this sort of service or project-based product 
um, or even a hardware product and not like a, a SaaS recurring revenue product and you are only going outbound. So I think you just have to set yourself up for the success and know that you should focus on developing demand from day one. That's an awesome mini masterclass answer right there, Scott. That, that, that was amazing. Uh, good, You're very, good, very good. kind. No, it's. <laughs> <laughs> I love that answer. That was phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Um, yeah. Good. Christian, I'll, I'll hand the reins back to you there. For sure. So I'm going to continue on this thread and I'm learning, taking notes as you're talking here. Sure. Um, but Scott, so you have ROI Overload and ROI Overload mm-hmm. Academy. So I can tell mm-hmm. you just my understanding of it, it seems like it is um, educational content for sales and marketing. Is it, 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 maybe you could tell us really what it, what the essence of it is. It is, is it a system or is it just a list of uh, resources that you can access on demand? How, how does it work? Sure. Um, you're very kind to plug everything I'm working on. Totally <laughs> not necessary and, and like super, super grateful. Um, so I guess I have, I have a job. So right now I currently lead uh, sales and marketing for an innovation unit within Grass Valley, which is about a six year old company. Um, I got that job because the company that I was working for before that was acquired by Grass Valley. That's my nine to five. And I focus on sales and marketing strategy and a lot of the stuff that we just, we just uh, spoke about. Outside of that, I do the podcast, which is also focused on, you know, very similar uh, stream as to what I do in my job. Outside of that, the podcast and my job, I also have a brand called ROI Overload. And that brand is comprised of um, a newsletter, which is just something that I write. Again, sales and marketing strategy. So you see that I, I start, I, I sort of, you know, eat my own dog food. I, I, I create the content that speaks to the people that I want to interact with. And that's sort of the long-term play, building my own brand and my own name. So I have the newsletter under the ROI Overload brand. I have a medium publication where other sales and marketing leaders can contribute their own uh, pieces to that publication. Still, same same stream. Um, the Academy is something I'm actually building out. And I haven't quite... Uh, I haven't quite figured out exactly how I want to position it, but at the end of the day, what I want it to be is I want it to be a dedicated, um, a dedicated resource of classes for entrepreneurs looking to build a business. And there's, a, and don't get me wrong, the first, you know, the second you hear that, you're going to say there's a lot of that stuff out there, and everybody who would say that would be correct. So um, the reason why it's not finished yet is I want to make it so that it is the content is so exceptional that it provides. Uh, that much value if I'm going to monetize it, which right now, if you try and get anything on it, there's, you can't because it's not actually open to the public yet. But that end goal would be to have some sort of uh, academy or resource or perhaps even courses contributed by other leaders in sales, marketing, building business, whatever it may be. Um, and people can go there. And the way I, I think I'm going to monetize it is some sort of subscription model. So a monthly, uh, a monthly, you know, access fee that gives you access to say like 2000 videos and you can segment them into whatever you want to learn about. And it's really meant to give quality, quality business building, entrepreneurship, startup information, um, I think the uh, the one thing that I really want to focus on is quality sales information because there's a lot of old school sales methodologies and tactics that are frankly like garbage. Um, there's a lot of great marketing information out there, but how you sell in 2021, um, I don't see a lot of people doing that properly. I still see, you know, like what you know what you mentioned that old school sales methodology. So I want to create a resource where marketers or entrepreneurs can go to find out how to market their brand, but have that, you know, have that congruence across their marketing and their sales so that they can 
build and and create that repeatable revenue pipeline um, and not just focus on that pure outbound old school you know cold calling dialing for dollar sales methodology so that's really what i want to focus on it's sort of a work in progress because you know working a job running a podcast writing a newsletter once a week obviously it's it's very <laughs> time consuming but that's sort of the end goal to have all of these different assets that are associated with my name my brand that you know sort of just are extensions of what i've learned over my career and that's what i want to give back to the startup community uh, the entre- like, you know, the entrepreneurial community and just people who want to just learn more about building businesses because I, I love doing it. Yeah. So, I mean, we, truthfully, we are keenly interested in the subjects that you're bringing to the table here. So, yeah, I mean, maybe it is kind of, you know, your ability to talk about what you do, but we're also learning and taking notes here. So I, I maybe, mm-hmm. you know, I have a more of a tactical question for you and it may be an old school sure. question here. So you've done such a great job of talking about this, the this, this strategy, right? Uh, the empathy and, you know, the demand generation and warming up the, the cold audience for, for some outbound, mm-hmm. if you want to do that as well. Um, what about in terms of the tactics? So you'll see a lot of marketing uh, and salespeople, um, you know, advertising like like agencies advertising that they do, you know, Mm -hmm. SEO, um, you know, uh, pay-per-click, you know, paid ads, all that kind of stuff, social media marketing, blah, blah, blah. Um, Can you tell us kind of, you know, your preferred tactics amongst uh, amongst those? Um, like how do you mm-hmm. see that kind of batch of those traditional uh, methods that people are still using effectively? So yes, you're correct. So I think that there are a large variety of different marketing methods. Um, and if you're going to start a business, I think that uh, you should be testing everything. I think there's base requirements, like minimum requirements you have to have in every single category. So for example, you need your social media profiles, you need your website. I would focus on writing a blog once a week that, you know, writing a blog once a week by definition is SEO. You are creating content. You know, your keywords that your audience is interested in. You're answering questions that your audience would be asking you in a blog once a week. Google's going to index that there. There's a, you know, not a great SEO strategy, but it's a start of an SEO strategy. You have content creation. So you're putting up posts on social. You're making some video clips, a great content creation strategy. Um, I think, a variety of people have sort of spoken about this, but what you can do is you can record a podcast like this. You can break it into, you know, five to 10 minute or even less, like, you know, two to five minute clips. You throw those clips on LinkedIn, on Facebook, you break it down even further. You can put those on Twitter. You can break it down into 60 or 30 second sound bites. You can put those on reels, TikTok, uh, YouTube spot, uh, YouTube, uh, YouTube shorts, you know, uh, Snapchat spotlight. So you have a content creation strategy. So to, you know, that's like the basics in terms of where you should uh, fall when you're first marketing a brand. So you have some content on your website, which turns out to be SEO. You have some content on social, which turns out to be like a content or social marketing strategy. Outside of that, then I would say you'd want to look for uh, your niche outlets where your audience could be hanging out. So um, when I sell a SaaS product, I'm on Product Hunt. I'm on uh, Hacker News. I'm uh, trying to find different communities that would love to test out a brand new SaaS product. So um, those are the types of things that you'd have to find out for your particular product. Where do, like for example, you know, you're, you're working, your podcast is about cybersecurity. If you're selling 
any sort of IT services, where are the forums where your community is hanging out, where your evangelists could hang out if they love what you do? Go find those as well. And then at that point, now you have your content strategy, you have uh, your social strategy, you have some other sort of niche type pieces of marketing collateral that you're putting out or that, you know, that you're putting into the world. And then I would say you just, you start testing. You, and, and by the way, another thing you mentioned is paid ads. I actually wouldn't even bother doing paid ads until you figured out who is going to be buying your product. Because to use paid ads to test out your, your audience is expensive. You can do that with content. You can do that with finding niche groups. You can do that uh, with seeing who is, for example, coming to your website and converting and maybe entering their email after they've read your blog, whatever that may be. Um, I would try all the free options first, and there's a, there's a few out there. And then after that, uh, once you figured out what works, then you can try and run some paid ads. Maybe you can see if you can, like, you know, you drive in some extra traffic against the people that you've identified could be your customer profiles or your buyer personas based on who's already purchased your product. But also you just want to, you know, you test out all these different channels and then you double down on what works. That's really it. Like there's no one size fits all. Um, if you want to go, if you want a really good resource on how to build a product from scratch, uh, go on YouTube and type in uh, Noah Kagan first 1000 customers. Uh, Noah Kagan is the founder of AppSumo amongst a variety of other uh, products and, and brands. And he speaks about how he markets to his first thousand customers. So for his first hundred customers, first, first 500 customers, first thousand customers. And a lot of it is just testing and then doubling down on what works. But when you first start out, you just you just do everything. You do absolutely everything. And then you'll start to notice some trends. You'll start to notice that some channels work better than others. And that's what you that's what you sort of double down on. And then after you double down on that and you get to say your first 50 sales, your first 50 customers, whatever, then you try that at process, that whole process again, because now your your service could have matured, your website could have matured, your product could have matured, so that some of those channels that didn't work for zero to fifty customers could work from fifty to one hundred customers. So a lot of it is, you know, this is this is not new, but iterating, testing, A-B testing, whatever that may be. It's just not just with an ad set. It's across all of your marketing activities. And then when you find something that works really well, you just keep going down and, and doubling down on that until you feel like you have the resources to try new channels. But I think what a lot of people do is they try and be excellent everywhere and they end up being excellent nowhere because they're just spreading themselves too thin. And if they're a bootstrapped business and you're trying to go across every single channel, uh, you're just going to run out of resources or you're just going to, you know, you, you personally are going to just be absolutely just way, way maxed out on your bandwidth. You're going to be stressed out. You're going to be, it's not going to work well. So I would say um, you can build your first 50 customers, your first hundred customers just off one channel, just find out what that channel is and then, abuse that channel as much as you possibly can. I feel like you uh, didn't hold back on us there. You you laid out a little bit of a mini course for us and I hope you do create a course out of uh based on based on that story you just told there. People want like a magic bullet and they don't yeah. and and they don't get a magic bullet so they just try everything and they they keep trying everything. But if they really if they really just looked at what they were doing and they will start to notice trends in for example even even among social I notice which social channels work better for me than others. I'll give you an example. I've started doubling down more on Twitter because I notice when I look at my conversions, I actually get more traffic from Twitter, even though I have the, one of the smallest audiences on Twitter. I have about 25,000 followers on Twitter, which relative to everything else is, is small. But for some reason, 
the content on Twitter drives conversions. I get more, my KPI is newsletter signups. I get more newsletter signups on Twitter than I do on LinkedIn, which has an, which has an audience that's 4X as large as Twitter. So yes, am I still going to post content on LinkedIn? Of course, but what I'm really trying to figure out is how do I do really well on Twitter? How do I create content that's, that's shareable, that's retweetable, because that's driving most of my traffic right now. Now, maybe that's not going to be the end-all strategy, and I have to re- like, you know, reevaluate in a month or, or two months, but that's something that you just have to be cognizant of and just, and just look at the numbers and then figure out and learn from, I guess one more, one more point I'll make on that is if you want to learn how to do a particular channel very well because you notice that your first effort is yielding some results, just study people that have done it before. Like I have people that I look at. So uh, Matthew, uh, Matthew Kobach for Twitter is somebody that I look at for great Twitter content. Um, for LinkedIn, I look at Justin Welsh for some of his, uh, you know, his LinkedIn content. Um, there's, a, there's a marketer, I can't remember her last name, but her first name is Mary, and I can't remember her last name, but she puts out a whole bunch of stuff. She's built a great community on Facebook. If you wanna really build a Facebook following. Um, uh, if I look to content writing um, and blogging, I look towards Seth Godin. Seth Godin is the person I try and study and figure out how to write like Seth Godin. So you just figure out what works, and then you study the the, the experts in that particular field and learn from them. And it's it's not like when I, when you say it, it, it sounds obvious, but you know, common sense isn't common, and that's really all you have to do. I, I can honestly say that you just came in here and absolutely smashed one out of the park. Like that was a hell of an episode. Like uh, I know this is one Christian I'm going to be talking for for many, many months to come like that. You absolutely crushed it. We're, we're so grateful you came and joined us today. You, you were, you were a rock star. Thank you very much. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. That's very kind of you. Well, I'm, I'm happy I was here. I, I'm, I hope you got everything you wanted. And I know it was a, it was a shorter one. It was only about like 25 minutes, but that was really fun. <laughs> a lot of that's fun. normally what we, that's normally what we aim for. Uh, okay. So we, we try to, that's my attention span. So Krishna, <laughs> 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 uh, we will uh, we'll take a brief pause here and then uh, we'll be right back to wrap up today's episode. Well, that was some mind-blowing awesomeness there. Scott really, really brought, uh, and as I mentioned in the episode there, I thought it was a mini masterclass on on sales and, and, and marketing there. Um, Diana, what, what one of your key takeaways was from that conversation? For sure. Really, our show time slots really didn't do justice to what Scott uh, was delivering today. I wish we could have gone on for another at least 30 minutes there. Uh, really, the whole idea of not uh, not going to the old school way of approaching sales and marketing and the idea of creating demand through content generation and creating that uh, demand generation machine like the HubSpot model that he mentioned there. Uh, I think that is a really good uh, illustration of how, you know, us and and others uh, listening can really model their um, business development uh, efforts after. Yeah, it was, yeah, couldn't agree more, Christian. Again, it was a brilliant conversation. Uh, Scott just had so many gems. Uh, I'm going to have to re-listen to it probably a, a dozen times to get, get all the good notes from that. But uh, I love how he was talking about you know empathy and sales, empathy and leadership. You know, he, yeah. he really I think epitomizes you know modern sales and uh, definitely someone worth following and and, and learning from. Um, 
and again, uh, we come to that point of the, of the show where I always want to make sure we extend a special thanks to our loyal listeners and, and viewers for carving out a special uh, time of uh, their week to uh, spend some time with us. Thank you, as always, for supporting the podcast. Uh, I do want to make sure that I remind everyone to check out previous episodes of the Cybersecurity Mat- uh, Matters podcast on our YouTube page, as well as on uh, your preferred podcasting uh, platform. But until next time, be well, be safe, and we'll catch you next time on the Cybersecurity Matters podcast. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn Jobs and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out.
I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E.com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. 